I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Apostles' Creed. What does it mean? Hi, my name is Terence and I'm your host for Reading and Readers. Today I review The Spirit of Grace by Alistair McGrath, 128 pages published by SPCK Publishing in December 2014. Available in Amazon Kindle for $9.99 and for free in Logos in January. McGrath graduated with a first-class honours in chemistry at Oxford, then a doctorate in molecular biophysics, a first-class honours in theology, and just to make the rest of us feel small and tiny, he went on to do two more doctorates in theology and intellectual history. I see in his biography, or biodata, that he has a long history as a professor of theology in Oxford, then later at London, and then back to Oxford as the Andreas Idrios Professor of Science and Religion in 2014. In 2022, he stepped down from this endowed chair and is now the Senior Research Fellow at the Ian Ramsey Centre for Science and Religion at Oxford. McGrath has written many books, and there are many interesting titles here, so much so that I want to spend more time to talk about them. So I'll do that at the end of this review. So let's look at today's book, The Spirit of Grace by Alistair McGrath. When I picked up this book, I thought, I knew what it's going to be about. <laughs> the title says The Spirit of Grace, so the book must be all about the Holy Spirit. To my surprise, it was not. It is more than that. This is actually the fourth book in the series the series uh, is designed to explain Christian creeds. And uh, book four, today's book, covers um, this part of the Apostles' Creed. I quote, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. While the rest of it, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, amen, will be covered in the next book, book five, The Christian Life and Hope. So this is great. I don't mind reading another book on the Holy Spirit, but I haven't read a book on the Apostles' Creed, um, much less a full series of five books on it. So I'll take book four for today. And uh, McGrath surprises me once again by giving me more than expected. So let me read the chapter headings and we'll see if you can see the extra that he has given over the Apostles' Creed. Chapter 1 is on the Holy Spirit, the giver of life. Chapter 2, humanity, the climax of God's creation. Chapter 3, uh, grace, the gift of a courteous God. Chapter 4, church, the communion of saints. Chapter 5, 
one holy Catholic and apostolic church. So if you were listening carefully, you'll find that the Apostles' Creed doesn't actually say anything about humanity. Yet, McGrath wisely notes, I quote, If we are to understand the important place of spirituality in the Christian faith, we need to grasp both the idea that humanity has been created in order to relate to God and the role of the Holy Spirit in enabling and sustaining that relationship. And I suppose you, it's going to be hard to talk about forgiveness of sins if you have not talked about sin that is in humanity. So, uh, so he gives us a bit more, which is better than what I would have done. If I was assigned to write a book on the Apostles' Creed, I would just do what I was told. Uh, and how many lines of the Apostles' Creed am I supposed to put in this book? Four? All right, then. Then I'll have four chapters. But McGrath has a higher objective. He wants to explain the Christian belief to everyone, to describe the heart of the faith. And so if we need biblical anthropology, that is, if we need to know what the Bible says about us, about humanity, about a man, uh, then um, he will explain it. Because to understand Christianity, uh, we need to understand uh, more about man, more about us. And so he gives it um, a dedicated chapter. Before we go into the few chapters as examples, I just want to say that this book provoked many thoughts as I was reading it. And I at first, I thought that was strange because it's not as if I'm encountering something new, a new concept, a new doctrine. I know the Apostles' Creed. When I go back to my hometown, the church I go to would, uh, every Sunday service, flash up the Apostles' Creed for the congregation to read together, read aloud. And I also know the theology behind the Apostles' Creed, having read books on the different uh, individual elements of it. The Holy Spirit, yep. Forgiveness, yeah. The Church, many books on the Church. So I found it interesting that uh, reading McGrath's book was uh, so stimulating, and I was wondering why. And I concluded it's because the truth he speaks of is timely and timeless, as it always is. It applies to, uh, the truth applies to what is important in my life and also, I believe, in yours. And so when I'm guided by an able guide, as McGrath is, my latent thoughts, the, the, the thoughts that are skimming uh, at the surface of my consciousness, my worries, my concerns, hopes and dreams, they engage with what he's writing, they're engaging with the truth, and I ponder upon what, uh, what does this mean to me uh, now. So that's why um, this book has uh, stimulated many thoughts, and I'll share uh, some of them. I'll share one of them right now. In chapter 1 on the Holy Spirit, McGrath describes the experiential approach emphasized within the Charismatic and Pentecostal movements. He writes, I quote, an emphasis on the experience of the Spirit can be argued to represent a welcome move away from very bookish or intellectual ways of thinking about the Christian faith. Why should those who cannot read or who find abstract reasoning difficult be disadvantaged in matters of faith? The Holy Spirit is the great leveler, 
making the rich experience of the living God available to all. Now, before we could excuse, uh, accuse McGrath of being a charismatic or Pentecostal, uh, he writes, I quote, But not everyone feels so positively about experiential approaches to faith. Dorothy Sayers wrote to C.S. Lewis on, on 5th August 1946, making clear they made no sense to her. I quote, All spiritual experience is a closed book to me. In that respect, I have been tone deaf from birth. Sayers, I, again continuing McGrath's um, writing here, Sayers relied on reason and imagination to generate and sustain her faith and saw no cause to appeal to the vagueness of religious experience to express or defend it. Others are wary of a touchy-feely faith, which they consider may open them to the charge of emotionalism or subjectivism, that is, making what they feel the basis of what they believe. End quote. Now, having brought up the tension of the two positions, McGrath then tells us in no uncertain terms, divergence within Christianity really reflects a strength. In the conclusion to this, uh, to this uh, thought, he writes, There is only one Holy Spirit, but our experience and appreciation of that Spirit differs and reflects our individual identity. We are not forced into a template. Each of us is special, with something unique to offer God, who takes the threads of our lives and weaves them into a greater pattern. End quote. And uh, McGrath is a very good weaver as well because he takes the threads of uh, different um, positions, uh, doctrines, uh, different viewpoints, and he weaves them into a very good book um, that explains with much clarity. And as I read through this, it just struck me how much we need good theologians who can do really good study and can communicate well uh, teaching truth. I mean, we, we give credit to, the, to our pastors, to our preachers, to our missionaries, and rightly so, rightly so, but uh, we must not forget the teachers, the theologians amongst us, especially those who have dedicated a lifetime to study deeply the Bible and to describe the reality that we live in. Frankly, most of us don't have the time to reflect on the theological issues of the day or the theological issues of the century. <laughs> so what we need is some people who are doing this thing, doing this uh, theological uh, exploration, um, digestion, and someone to just spit it out so that we can actually understand the things like the Apostles' Creed. So, and, and that means doing theology. Now, too many Christians think that theology is a bad word. Theology leads to divisions. And that is a failure to see how theology unites. I mean, we just saw an example of this uh, from, from uh, the, the passage that I just read. When there are divisions between intellectuals and believers who are more experiential, we unite in the truth presented through theological analysis. Hey, there are many gifts, 
there are many types of personalities, but there is one Holy Spirit. And that helps us to, again, remember that the people on the other side, they have believed many things that we also cherish to be true. So I think theologians do play a very important role here. And if you read the whole book, we see unity in our common humanity. Okay, that's in chapter 2. In our common need for forgiveness. And once we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, in our common belonging within the church. So even reading this book can help us uh, unite. Uh, and if you read the whole series, which explores the Christian creeds, including the Apostles' Creed, you can see how uh, rather than uh, creating division, it is our theology, our understanding of God, that truly unites us in our faith. It is people who can read aloud and who, and not just uh, reading it, but truly believing it. And uh, that is what unites us as a body, to have the same faith in these um, sacred truths. If you, and, and next one, okay? So another example I want to give you from this book um, that actually jump-started a few of my thoughts is, um, well, if you subscribe to this podcast, you will know that I recently reviewed Augustine's four anti-Pelagian writings uh, because of a present uh, need to do so. Now, I didn't expect to see Pelagius again so soon. In McGrath's chapter on humanity, McGrath gives a clear and concise summary of the Pelagian controversy. It's a very nice one. Just three pages, four pages, and, and it was very helpful. Um, he tells us in these few pages the history between the two men, Augustine and uh, Pelagius, the theological debate and its implications, and even though he clearly sides with Augustine's interpretation, and, but he does so without villainizing uh, Pelagius. Now, let me read the conclusion to, his, uh, to this uh, controversy. I quote, The debate between Augustine and Pelagius is often revisited by Christians. On the one hand, Pelagius' emphasis on the importance of trying to do our best is welcome. On the other, Augustine's emphasis on human frailty fits in far better with the New Testament's stress on God's graciousness towards us. For Augustine, human beings are damaged, wounded, and seriously ill. There is no point in demanding that we improve ourselves when the essence of our condition is that we are trapped in our predicament. Pelagius seems to be in denial about the human situation. His naive approach, although unquestionably well-intentioned, could be compared to ordering a blind man to see things properly. Spiritual healing, not simply moral direction, is required. End quote. Now this, I think, is a calm, even-handed way to deal with one of the most uh, pernicious of heresies. Um, I mean, this is a heresy that is uh, nailed on the, the Roman Catholic Council of Trent. It is in the articles of religion for the Anglican and also for the Methodist and also uh, for the Baptist. So it is a very well-recognized heresy. And yet, McGrath is able to convey uh, the 
the ideas, the, the doctrine in simple, non-technical language that is easy for newcomers to the faith to understand and allows us to weigh the merits without the outrage, without the, the immediate labeling, and for us to see why Pelagius uh, thought that way, why he introduced this idea. It was out of a, it's coming from a good place. But just because Pelagius is a good guy, he was, I think, uh, many people recognize him as a moral man, and he wanted to encourage a moral reformation among Christians. Uh, yet his, uh, his teaching with regards to man's, human's situation actually risked um, risk the whole gospel. So I thought this was a very nice presentation and uh, I, I found it really helpful in my studies. I didn't expect to see it in this book, uh, this uh, Pelagius uh, controversy. So that was really nice. Uh, I'll give you one more example. And this is uh, one of my favorite chapters in the book. Uh, is on is uh, chapter 5, which contains um, McGrath's systematic unpacking of the words from the Nicene Creed. Uh, and the words are one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. And he unpacks each one of those words. Now, Catholic uh, here does not refer to the Roman Catholic Church. Catholic means uh, universal. And to explain this, McGrath quotes Cyril of Jerusalem. I quote, The church is called Catholic because it extends through all the world, from one end of the earth to the other, and because it teaches completely and without any omissions all the doctrines that ought to be known to humanity concerning both things that are visible and invisible and things that are earthly and heavenly. And because it brings all kinds of people, whether rulers or subjects, learned or ignorant, under the influence of true piety. And because it universally treats and cures every kind of sin, whether committed by the soul or the body, and possesses in itself every kind of virtue which can be named, relating to words, deeds, or spiritual gifts of every kind. End quote. And he's explaining why the church is called Catholic. And McGrath then brings us, connects that idea of the church as Catholic and explains why it's important for Christians today. I quote, The church is the de de depository and transmitter of the whole Christian faith, not simply those parts of it that are thought to be relevant to its own situation. I continue the quote, as someone who has studied the history of the church, I have often noticed the tendency of one generation to regard some aspect of the Christian tradition as being of little interest, only for a later generation to rediscover its importance. The survival of the Christian faith depends upon the full richness of its intellectual, spiritual, and ethical teachings being preserved and transmitted. We simply do not know what challenges we may face in the future and which of the many resources of our faith may come into their own in meeting them. Christianity doesn't always need to develop new ideas. It can reach back into its past and rediscover ideas and approaches that have a new relevance in today's context. End quote. So, I mean, I would say 50 years, 100 years, 200 years time, 
when people are looking at the Christian uh, literature of uh, this century, they will be astonished by the amount of ink that we spend uh, spill on uh, gender. <laughs> Uh, many Christians are writing about gender, um, critical theory, and so on. And uh, again, the books that we have. And it's very interesting, isn't it, if you think about it? Because uh, past 100, 200, 500, 2,000 years, this is not an issue. But having said that, uh, we do uh, draw upon uh, what the earlier saints have written regarding uh, this issue as they write the commentaries and so on. So we can, for example, know that uh, unlike what some people may teach, uh, the idea of uh, binary gender, uh, there being two genders, is not a modern uh, teaching. It's not something that was conceived of as a way to oppress uh, the other party. Oh, all right, so I, I will stop talking about that. Uh, if, if you want to hear me talk more about that, well, listen to the review of my next book. Mm, more of that uh, shortly. So anyway, coming back to McGrath. Uh, McGrath is uh, talking about the Catholic Church and says that, uh, you know, it it's transcends time, transcends space. And uh, talks about the creeds, traditions, and resources that may be useful from that draws from the past to the present and perhaps to the future. And resources are like books. And I started reading in readers because I wanted to do something about Christians. I find Christians don't read enough and not thinking deeply enough. So I find that many are missing out on the best things in life, which is the devotion and the reflections of the faithful, whether past or present. And when I read this, uh, this chapter, I was very encouraged because it made me feel that what I'm doing here is actually, um, how do we say that? Uh, actually, has meaning. <laughs> I'm part of the Church Catholic because I am part of the transmitter or the depository as I evaluate these things. Now, as I'm sure you can tell, I like the book. I do recommend it. However, there are three annoying features, which I'll just quickly go through them. Uh, and uh, these are features or bugs that uh, intrude on the reading experience. First of all, uh, McGrath makes regular references to the previous books in the series. Now that's good because uh, that shows that he's very conscious about what was previously taught and he wants to connect it to the present topic. And that's good because uh, we learn better when we can connect ideas together. It uh, reinforces uh, memory and also comprehension. And all this is great except unless you read it or like I did not read it, the previous books, so that makes it harder to fully appreciate the references. Second annoyance is, I, I think the title could be reworked. Uh, McGrath did explain how the title The Spirit of Grace connects all the elements together, but I still think it's not obvious that a book titled The Spirit of Grace will contain chapters that includes humanity and the church. Nor is it obvious that the book is part of a series on the Apostles' Creed, or the Christian creeds. I think more could be done in the title of the book in order to make it clear. Having said that, I don't have a better suggestion. And uh, that brings me to my third annoyance. And um, this is part of a series, but it doesn't. The, the book doesn't show up as a part of a series in Amazon. Amazon doesn't put all the books in the series together. 
unlike other books, in one convenient link. So you would have to search for the title of each book in the series in order to get a full set. This is not McGrath's problem. It is Amazon's problem. But to save you time, I have put together uh, all the links, the Amazon links in the episode descriptions uh, below. Now, just a quick note in case uh, you're doing your search and you want to get the book or the series. Uh, this uh, series was uh, published by two distinct publishers, one in the US and one in the UK. And the one in the UK, which is the one I, I'm reviewing, uh, the series title is Christian Belief for Everyone. Okay, Christian Beliefs for Everyone. Uh, the one in the US is published by uh, Westminster John Knox Press, and the series is titled The Heart of Christian Faith. And uh, so there are, there's, if you, you see uh, two versions of the book, uh, The Spirit of Grace, under two different series, well, that's the reason. One is the US, one is the UK. Now, uh, come to my concluding thoughts. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, every church that flashes up the Apostles' Creed on the screen, or any church that gets their members to stand up and read the, the Creed in every Sunday service, well, they should just buy boxes of this uh, book and put them on display, get members to read them, study them in the weekly uh, sessions, so that members actually know what does the Apostles' Creed or the Christian Creeds actually mean. And if you read all the books in this series, you would have read 600 pages, but you won't feel like it was 600 pages because it's divided into five books, 120 pages each, so time will just zip by. However, if you are one of those people who don't want to read 600 pages uh, and you prefer a shorter commitment, McGrath has another book titled, I Believe, Exploring the Apostles' Creed, only 126 pages, and it promises to cover the Apostles' Creed in, six, in a six-week study plan. So maybe that's a better book for those who dread reading uh, longer books or a whole series of books. Now, having said that, if you if you love reading and you like uh, more of a McGrath books, he has many interesting titles. If you love C.S. Lewis, you probably already know Alistair McGrath because he is well known for the biography C.S. Lewis, a life eccentric genius, reluctant prophet. If you are the if you are a Christian, one of the few Christians who don't care much for C.S. Lewis, maybe you should read. Another book of uh, McGrath, which is titled Deep Magic, Dragons and Talking Mice. How reading CS can change your life. And it must have changed McGrath's life because after reading Louisa's uh, Mere Christianity, McGrath went on to write Mere Theology and later Mere Apologetics and later Mere Discipleship. If you are looking for heavier reading material, McGrath, together with J.I. Packer, is the editor for the Crossway Classic Commentary series. Now, this series has commentaries by long-dead guys like John Calvin, Martin Luther, R.C. Rao, Charles Hodge, and Charles Spurgeon. Okay? In fact, I reviewed one of the books in episode 27, a commentary on Hebrews by John Owen. Out of all the books in McGrath's long list of um, writings, if I could just pick one up to read, I would pick uh, Richard Dawkins, C.S. Lewis, and the 
Meaning of Life. That would be the book I choose. Because I'm conscious that McGrath is both a scientist and a theologian, which is a uncommon combination. They do exist, okay? They, I know uh, there are many uh, scientists and theologians around, but uh, not many are really good, I think, at writing for the layman. And uh, so I expect, um, yeah, if uh, to if I was to read a McGrath on Richard Dawkins, C.S. Lewis, and the Meaning of Life, I expect a good read. After all, it's only eighty pages. If Logos makes it free for next month or any other month, I will definitely review it, read and review it for you. If imitation is the sincerest form of flattery then I suppose wanting to read more books by the same author must be the sincerest form of a book recommendation. I cannot recommend today's book uh, uh, more highly enough. I think it is uh, useful, uh, important for us to know what, it mean, what the Apostles' Creed means. And to me, I think Alistair uh, has done a fantastic job in this book. This is a Reading and Readers review of The Spirit of Grace by Alistair McGrath, 128 pages published by SPCK Publishing in December 2014, available in Amazon Kindle for $9.99 and free in Logos for January. Now the next book I review is Neil Shenvey and Paul Sawyer's uh, Critical Dilemma, The Rise of Critical Theories and Social Justice Ideology, Implications for the Church and Society. I finished reading the book and I was actually in a dilemma whether to rush the review in time for before January ends or do a proper one. So that we need more time and uh, we'll be pushing uh, to February. So I was thinking that uh, what should I do? Then I realized that, well, well I thought of it as um, this way. This could be the most important book for Christians to read today in this decade, maybe, I hope not, in this century. <laughs> uh, so it is a very important book, a uh, very useful book. So I, I decided not to rush the review. I wanted to give it the best chance possible for people to actually uh, read the book. Okay, buy the book, read the book, uh, download the book, steal the book, whatever you need to do. Uh, Critical Dilemma is available in Amazon for $21.99. And the reason why I was thinking of rushing uh, it is because it is discounted to $6.99 in Logos for January. So if you're listening to this and you're wondering whether should I get it, should I not get it, then I'll just tell you, just get it. Okay? It's, uh, uh, if the world is going um, the way it's going, uh, then you might want to read this to make sense of the world. Get the book. Okay, Neil Shenvey and Paul Sawyer's Critical Dilemma. And uh, all that's happening around us will certainly make so much sense. With that, thank you for listening. Bye-bye.